you're listening to Threads. My name is Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
probably the most well-known and widely performed Dutch composition from the 20th century. Yeah, I'd never heard of it until now. That's Canto Ostinato, written in 1976 by Simeon Ten Holt, or sections 1 to 30 of it anyway. There are a whopping 106 in total that you heard there in a two-piano version by long-term Dutch resident Tomoko Makayama and Dutch native Gerald Bauhuis. It's often performed with pianos, one, two, four, but the score doesn't actually specify specific instrumentation, so cue versions for strings, for orchestra, organ, choir, and so on. There are a plethora of recordings out there that stand as a testament to the piece's enduring appeal. From Bergen in the north of the country, uh, the Netherlands, not Norway, that is, Simeon Ten Holt had built a career writing across a range of media from serialism to electronic music before arriving back at good old-fashioned tonality, which he alloyed to a minimalist aesthetic for the start of what is considered his late period and the part of his career for which he is best remembered now. He memorably described it as tonality after the death of tonality. He was apparently working completely independently of concurrent trends in the States. Just one of those weird historical accidents, I guess. For his music is certainly a lot closer, for me, to the US tonal or modal approach to minimalism than is the music of other European composers. And it's Terry Riley who this piece bears strong kinship with. Riley has in fact been involved with performances of it. The main reason for that is its open-endedness, much like Riley's classic in C. The 106 sections of the canto feature a few bars each, which can be played ad lib, being repeatable either one or many more times at the performer's discretion. As a result, performances have lasted anywhere from a couple of hours up to marathon whole day events. Canto Ostinato translates as persistent song, by the way. Now we know why. And that open-endedness must presumably radically change, if not the material, then the whole aesthetic and semantic effect of the piece much in the way that Eric Sarti's classic troll, or deadly serious depending on your viewpoint, instruction to the performer to repeat the printed bars of his piece Vexations 840 times results in an experience that isn't comparable to just hearing it once or even a few times. Oh, and whilst we're talking, if you've ever noticed that piece of dour sounding piano music that sometimes closes out the radio broadcast of this show without announcement, that's Vexations. And if you're listening on demand to the podcast, then uh, please continue about your business, as you were. Tenholt was initially embarrassed by the canto, apparently, and came close to rejecting it outright, but its popularity was apparently enough to change his mind, and he ended up performing it himself frequently throughout his later career. I've got mixed feelings about it. It's very transparent, and I don't mean that in a necessarily critical way, but in short bursts at least, it is largely about surfaces, some of them very nice indeed, but you get what I mean. Harrison Burtwistle, R.I.P., once apparently described minimalism as skimmed milk, and it's hard not to sometimes see something in that comment. But then sometimes, I don't know, it just gets you. The way one section moves into the next can be, well, sometimes just a little bit sublime. Context is everything and I do think it would become something quite different when heard entire, particularly over longer durations, and maybe that the performance stamina and focus required to deliver it are where the most interest for me may lie. The performance there, by Tomoko and Gerard, was made on two Fazioli 308s, 
and is a conscious attempt, I think, to inject more energy and a bit more steel into the piece. Just in terms of tempo alone, I much prefer it to the many other piano-based versions out there. The album Canto Ostinato was released on the label TMF in 2015. Thank you. 
doing nothing if not always bringing you the very best in Andean funk on this show. That was White Men Can Jump, written in 2003 by Michael Mensing, a Dutch composer who seemingly delights in writing crossover pieces, whether that be drum and bass for recorder quartet or Messian meeting some kind of mutant jazz fusion. And if that all sounds a bit cringe, it's delivered with such a great sense of fun and energy that it makes it pretty hard not to like. I guess his music is as much about music as it is music in itself, and in dipping into these different genres so thoroughly, it sometimes feels like he's dissolving the line such as it exists between the composer on the one hand and the style he's modelling on the other. Point being, it often feels very deeply genre-embedded and less aesthetically distanced from its sources than a lot of other music by quote-unquote classical composers. Maybe something that comes out of the fact that he's still playing in bands, I believe, as a bassist. And it's interesting to me that he also works commercially as well, in film music, for advertising, and for radio. Something that seems reasonably rare in the world of classical composers, perhaps. I'd be interested to know how he views those different activities, and how they fit in with commission-based composition on the art side of things. Anyhow, that piece was commissioned by the Amsterdam Fund for the Arts, for the pan flute guitar duo Verso, their Mathis Cohn and Stefan Gerritsen, and they're who you heard playing there. The album Verso was released on Carnatic Lab back in 2009. <laughs> Sita, Sapa, Nani, Hum, 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 hum,
Одни.
doesn't feel real this place. It just doesn't. It just doesn't feel real. Two pieces there from the debut release of Kenyan composer, performer, and sound artist Nayakabi Kariuki. It's an EP called Peace Places Kenyan Memories. And you heard there Equator Song, followed by Naylor's Peace Place. Written in the US during the pandemic and unable to travel to the country of her upbringing, the record moves between different locations and associated memories from her childhood via use of field recordings, keyboards, kalimbas, experimental electronics, and so on, with each track reflecting a specific place and stemming from visual associations and language as much as sonic cues. I should actually say four languages, English, Kizawahili or Swahili, Kikuyu, the language of the group of the same name, and Ma, the language of the Maasai. She's talked about how she uses music as a means to look back into culture and represent it, both in terms of the wider socio-political history of colonialism and post-colonialism, and the personal familial aspects. And she's described a lovely process of how, quote, family members started to find themselves in my music from the field recordings or from asking about their experiences. They all had these stories that I had no idea about. For me, it's a really fresh mixing together of field recording and sound art, with something perhaps edging towards a pop sensibility. Those amazing stacked vocals in Equator Song, for example, even if these aren't really quite songs in that sense. I'll be very interested to see where she goes with subsequent releases. Those performed by Naikabi Kariuki, vocals, sound design, and field recordings, and you heard Chris O'Leary on the vibraphone in the second piece. The EP, Peace Places, Kenyan Memories, has just been released on SA Recordings.
Let's move to Pangaea. Okay, and we can all listen to weird math rock as played by Dutch contemporary music ensembles. Why not? That was by Floris van Bergeek. Sorry if I've mangled the pronunciation there. From Den Haag, I believe. He's a composer, guitarist, and keyboard player, and a member of the group you heard playing that. They're the Rosa Ensemble. Esther Mungambi, vocals. Jerome Kinman, guitar. Annelies Wierswick, saxophones, Peter Jessen, bass, Lawrence DeBoer, piano, Daniel Cross, keyboards and percussion, Cohn Capitin, trombone, and Floris himself on electronics and guitar. It's taken from an album called No Ark Dead Eel, and that was released on Dying Giraffe Recordings in 2010. And I actually chanced across that piece when tracking down the record as it contains the next two pieces.
two pieces there attesting to the value of the smaller things in life. That was Ballad from 1995 and Small Goodbye Song from 2007 by Martin Padding. From Amsterdam, he's from the generation coming slightly after Louis Andreessen. He was taught by him, in fact, and he's pretty well established within the Netherlands these days. He's been the head of the composition department at the Royal Conservatory of The Hague for some time, I think. He's written some great music. It's always clear, lively, and smart. And the pieces you heard there are small ones, but I really like something about their interior quality and faltering, slightly astringent harmony. As mentioned, they were also taken from the album Noark Dead Eel, released on Dying Giraffe Recordings in 2010 and performed by the Rosa Ensemble. Thank you. 
That's two tracks there of a recently released eponymously titled EP by City Synthesis, a collaboration between Kenyan electronic producer Raphael Kariuki, better known as DJ Raf, and the Nairobi-based German sound artist Sophia Bauer. You heard Pulpit, followed by Traffic Jazz. He's a well-established presence on the Nairobi music scene, who's carved out an interesting space somewhere between the dance floor and the gallery. He has an ongoing interest in field recordings, often incorporating them into his music. His 2018 album Sacred Groves is a great example of that, being based on the music archive of the Oelawa House in Beirut, Germany. 
a presentation and research space for contemporary African art. And Sophia Bauer is a sound artist known for quite large-scale installation work, often exploring a sense of place. Together with Raf, she founded the archive project Sound of Nairobi, which is an open-source sound database to which anyone can contribute samples. That's online and still ongoing, I think. And this EP, City Synthesis, uses only sounds from that database, in fact, which is both a nice compositional challenge, because these are very much pieces of music as much as sound art, and also something that lends to that music a great sense of situatedness. It's all the more interesting for that, I think, sitting as it does somewhere between those two spaces. I really like its nocturnal abstract narrative quality. It's almost surreptitious, with all those snatches of city life forming both foreground content and wider texture, whether that's the mangling of samples into new designs or their pitch tracking to create sounds that feel both familiar and slightly otherworldly. The EP City Synthesis was released via Bandcamp last year.
Well, that starts off sounding like a clarinet, then maybe two, and then the weirdness gradually sets in as a single trill, the rapid oscillation between two notes gets multiplied out en masse. That was music for 19 clarinets, written around 2015, I think, by Niels Lynn Lokergaard, a Danish composer and conceptual artist, really, considering he's written a whole series of works for multiple instances of this same instrument. His 2016 release, Sound Times Sound, for various multiplications of piano, percussion and winds, is both a great overview and just an amazing sonic discovery in its own right. He's described these pieces as an attempt to create music that lets the instruments transcend their inherent sonic norms and reappear in another form. Imagine you enter a room with vibrant acoustics, he says, such as a cafe full of people having conversations. And when you're close to those conversations, you hear a language and understand the words. If you step away from the tables, however, and stand in the doorway, you begin to lose the ability to distinguish the words from one another. Now, instead of hearing the individual conversations, all the conversations meld together and transform into one new sound, a sound of people without words or language. Just as when you hear a group of geese squawk or the wind in the treetops, a kind of nature-given sound of people. Once the language is dissolved and the words stop making sense, what is left is the sound. For me, I see it also as something akin to an electronic musician's approach to acoustic music. Acoustic instrumental music carries with it all the potential for timbre, blending, and so on, but it rarely digs into sonic effects. Okay, yes, bearing in mind that every instrument is making a sound in a literal sense. I guess I'm thinking of another use of the word here. I think it takes something like this kind of project to bring out that other type of sonic potential inherent in these instruments transporting them into something far beyond themselves. It's fascinating, and it doesn't necessarily require musical education or training. In fact, Lokergaard has long worked with non-musicians. And why not? We've celebrated non-actors in film for years, and that naturalism is what trained actors often spend years trying to acquire, almost by a process of unlearning. And yet that seems a much weirder and potentially more controversial concept in the context of classical music, with its notoriously high technical standards and veneration of virtuosity. I'm definitely not arguing here for some kind of Maoist de-skilling of musicians. It's just that there are always other approaches that can be made with interesting results, and there is space enough to accommodate many different approaches. As always, the existence of one thing doesn't invalidate another. I'd also argue that it doesn't particularly require prior contextual understanding on the part of the listener to appreciate as a sonic experience, it's context-free in this sense, or as context-free as any phenomenon can be. It's why I think people can sometimes get something out of complex music by the likes of Zanarkis and Ligeti, where they may feel less connection with, say, Stravinsky. Okay, enough hypothesizing. You heard Albert Raft, Jesper Lovdal, Francesco Bigoni, Pernille Bevor, Kasper Wagner, Anders Hauschow, Boskold Christensen, Christopher Nigby, Vincent Ponkrantz, Morton Lohmann, Sanderskov Jensen, Birgit Borgsondenis, Jeppe Hogald, Tine Viktov, Jeppe Skold, Torben Snekstad, Magnus Thieland, Jeppe Zacco, Karen Julian Gustavino, 
and Anders Banke, yes, all playing clarinets. The album that was taken from Saturations was released on Important Records last year.
a great melody in that and a beautiful supporting arrangement. That was the third movement, the Adagio from Nancy Dahlberg's String Quartet Number no. 1, written in 1914. Growing up on the Danish island of Finn, she was a talented pianist, but was hampered in pursuing that further, both by her father and by ongoing medical issues, and in the end she switched to composition. She learned with Carl Nielsen, among others, who surely must be Denmark's most internationally recognised composer. And she, for her part, has the distinction of being the first Danish woman to write an orchestral symphony, and she apparently received praise, along with a certain amount of condescension over her career, due to the fact that, well, something along the lines of who knew women can write notes too. She's probably best known now for her chamber music, particularly the second string quartet, which has become something of a fixture in Scandinavian concert halls. But it's that movement from the earlier first that I thought would be a good fit for this show. It was performed by the Nordic String Quartet. They are Hilderin Peterson and Mads Haugstad Hansen on violins, Daniel Eklund, viola, and Lea Emil Brondal on cello. And that was taken from the album Nancy Dahlberg, the String Quartets, released on Dar Capo in 20. 19. Thank you. 
that is just great in every sense. The individual sounds, their composition, and just the production and the ambience of the whole thing. And for me, with strong echoes of 70s era Miles Davis and Weather Report, love it. That was Heliodor, Kvind med Sol Aspect, or Woman with Sun Aspect, from 1985 by Birgit Allsted and taken from her self-released cassette soundtrack to the theatre piece Frokost i Degrona, or Breakfast in the Grass. From Edens, Denmark, she's a violinist and teacher alongside being a composer. I guess that's probably her playing the spine-tingling high violin note throughout that piece. And along with the likes of Elsa Marie Pad, she's been a real innovator in the field of electronic music in Denmark, along with writing for acoustic instruments and working on collaborative projects in theatre and dance. She was also the founder of the Gruppen for Alternative Music in the 70s, a collective that experimented with alternative forms and group improvisation alongside staging performances in non-conventional settings. Frekost i Degrona, a translation of the Le Déjeuner sur l'herbe of Manet's famous painting, was performed at Théâtre Sorte Hest in 1985 and written in collaboration with the actor-director Brigitte Colrus. And the soundtrack? Well, I've heard one other piece of it, and I'd love to hear more, but alas, I've not been able to track the whole thing down. I've been interested to know how many copies were originally made, and whether it ever got a re-release. Anyhow, it's Frukost i Degrona, self-released on cassette in 1985.
that is just gorgeous echoes of William Basinski and Elian Rodigue. That was Joseph Kamaru, better known by his stage name KMRU, and the piece Solace from his 2020 album Peel. He's a Kenyan sound artist who's currently based in Berlin, where he's studying for a master's degree. I loved reading about his background recently. Growing up near the center of Nairobi, he was accustomed to high levels of noise. His family apparently lived near a busy main road where matutus, or fleets of buses pimped with massive sound systems, would ride by playing US hip-hop at top volume. And something in such experiences triggered an ongoing connection to music for him. In high school, he found that the school's computers had the music production software FL Studio and Ableton Live. The only problem was that none of the teachers knew how to use them. So he and a few of his classmates taught themselves, often working through the night in the school's computer lab. Their early tunes were influenced by US and Afro House, and they later scored a release on the German label Black Lemon. It wasn't until his family moved outside the city when he was a teenager, though, that he began to connect with the sounds of nature now surrounding him, and so began an ongoing passion for making field recordings, initially with an old iPod, and later with a Zoom recorder. Recording outside with my headphones on, he said, I realized there was so much sound around me. I was carrying it everywhere, listening and recording, using the microphones as a new pair of ears. Around the same time, he chanced across the field recordist Chris Watson's El Tren Fantasma, a recording made across a Mexican railway line, and discovered that there was an entire recorded and academic field around environmental sound. And in 2019, he made his first trip to Europe, traveling to Berlin to perform at the experimental festival CTM. He apparently found that a revelation, and later said he felt that I was where I am supposed to be sonically. Having this affirmation that you're not doing this on your own, that was motivation to keep going. Because in Nairobi, there was this question, who is listening to my music? It's hard for a musician to make a living from their art in Nairobi. Partly in response to that, he's been very active in setting up workshops in Nairobi, focusing on the use of production software like Ableton to engage and inspire emerging composers and musicians. And along with the likes of DJ Raf from earlier in this show and Uganda's Nagai Nagai Collective, he's part of a rapidly expanding electronic music scene across East Africa. One contributing factor is no doubt that the region has seen a very rapid growth in access to software and internet access along with internet speeds in recent years. His recent output has stretched from field recording, radio art and improvisation through to noise, drone and machine learning, whilst Peel makes a decided turn in the direction of ambient. Using street sounds he captured from near his home in Nairobi, along with field recordings from the Ugandan island of Lunkulu and background ambience from Montreal, he recorded what is a remarkably polished album across just two days of laptop-based improvisation. He said that he's always happy to have limitations while making music and cites Peel as an example of this. It's just great stuff and I highly recommend to check out the rest of the album. As mentioned, that is Peel and that was released on Editions Mago in 2020. And that's time for another episode. The Tonic will be back on Wednesday the 6th of July 
at 10 a.m. British summertime, GMT plus one. You can, as always, check the show's Instagram page or confirmation, the underscore tonic underscore, and feel free to drop me a message anytime via Instagram or the tonic.online. Thanks as ever to Meg, to Rosie, and the whole crew at Threads for hosting. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.